Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters will bring you environment and social justice stories. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Coming up this week, a decolonising climate change panel discussion featuring a poetry reading. And held in Melbourne at the Black Dot Gallery, this discussion took place with First Nations women and was all about climate change, country and justice. Coming up in this program, you'll hear from Jen Ray, a Métay Canadian Aboriginal artist, Alara Briggs, a Yorta Yorta woman from the Seed Mob, and Jacinta Fomatu, a Samoan Pacific Islander Australian woman from 350 Pacific. First up, you'll hear a poetry reading from Aboriginal woman Kate West. This is Earth Matters. This piece is about a place in the Pilbara in Western Australia, a very old place which is possibly 60,000 years old or 60,000 years of people um, living in that area. We missed the turn-off and found ourselves at the beach. The sand isn't pure white like it is down south. Time has merged white sand with red Pilbara dirt. A couple of grey nomads soon point to my brother and I in the right direction. We have to go back on the road we came along, then turn left at a track that is barely there. We get to the car park created by many four-wheel drives with a large turning circle. My brother and I get out of the car and begin to make our way towards the valley in between two huge mounds of broken red rocks. They look as if a a giant being piled them up like that. The maker concentrating on this building, but allowing some to fall and find their own place. It's a hot day at Murujuga. There are flies, but apart from their buzzing, it seems quiet. The mammals are probably somewhere in the shade conserving energy but I'm sure there are reptiles to look out for. As we make our own path over rocks and past small water holes, you can see that when it rains, a lot more water would end up here. The rocks at our feet are much smoother than those high on the ridge. Almost immediately, we start to notice the petroglyphs. There are carvings of animals from the land and sea, as well as strange human-like figures. Seeing the human figures makes me feel that this is a place that holds knowledge and expects knowledge from those who visit. I imagine the day someone chose their rock, thought about which being should live there, then start to scrape and chip them into existence. As my eyes follow any tracks jumping from, from one rock to the other, and as much as I've been trying to avoid this, By distracting myself with this incredible scene, my heart sinks. My brother and I are connected to this place. Our great-great-grandmother, Woggy, knew Mooradjuga well. In some records I have found, Woggy's last name was Mindaroo. I'm pretty sure Twiggy Forest's family owned a cattle station with the same name. We decide to just sit for a while. Continuing to scan the ridge, we point out images to each other when we find them. I know all too well that I don't really understand what I'm looking at, but I wish so much that I did. For a while we just listen, 
There's a main road nearby and an airport with a steady stream of traffic. Every now and then there's a crash, the kind that rings out from an industrial estate. A top-notch pigeon calls out from somewhere and I'm glad to hear a voice that makes sense. My brother comments that he can smell gas. He often says some pretty random things, but looking back along the path we took, past water holes, small but rugged looking trees and ancient carvings, this is actually plausible. Framed by this scene is a gas hub. Somewhere around here, though we couldn't find it, someone chose a rock one day and carved out a human face. As far as we know, this is the oldest portrait in the world. Now this is a total cliche, but Murujuga makes me think of the song The Children Came Back. The emotional homecoming of stolen children is encapsulated in a matter of minutes, giving the impression that going back or coming home is simple, just arrive and there'll be family there waiting for you. My brother and I are sitting in country, my grandmother, Wogi knew well. But we're not home yet. We are trying though. The day has got hotter and we start to retrace our path to leave. Even though I still feel a bit inadequate by my lack of knowledge, I feel a bit better off than the people working at the gas hub across the road. Okay. Hello, my name is Jen Ray. Um, um, I also would like to pay my respects to elders past and present and to Indigenous people in, from Australia as well as um, from the global community. Um, I, am, I am Métis, which is a Canadian Aboriginal group. In Canada, we have three recognised First Nations groups. We have um, First Nations, we have the Inuit, and then we have the Métis. So this definition has been changing even in the nine years that I've been in Australia. When I came to Australia, we had in Canada, the definition was, um, we had three recognized Aboriginal groups and only two are Indigenous. Um, and in the nine years that I've been here, that's now changed and we are all under the banner of First Nations in Canada. Um, Métis, in its original word, meant half-breed. It's a, sorry. Um, it's, it, it now um, is no longer termed, uh, we're no longer termed half-breeds, but it's been a contentious term over um, the last 300 years. The Métis people um, are, are, are a unique culture that was formed from um, the colonizers that came over um, from primarily Scotland and France and met with um, the Cree and the Salto Indians. Um, they didn't belong to either, either groups and instead they formed their own language and their own system of uh, language and, and culture. So that's... Um, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of our land, um, the Wurundjeri people, and acknowledge the Kulin Nation that we're in a really significant um, meeting place here in Melbourne. Um, I pay my respects to elders past, present and future and thank you for passing down the knowledge, strength, love and resilience that it takes, um, that I need to take care of our land um, to give it the respect that it deserves so that we can also give ourselves as a people the respect that we deserve 
to live healthy as we did for so long. I pay my respects to our elders here in the room um, and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are here with us today and to all other First Nations people that are here with us today. Um, and lastly, I'd like to acknowledge the ancestors of um, the, the non-Indigenous or non-First Nations people um, that are in this room and acknowledge that at some point um, we did all live in an ancient way um, as my people did only 229 years ago. Um, I pay my respects to this land by giving my best effort every single day um, to, to give back, um, to acknowledge everything that has been given to us, which is life itself, and, and it's Mother Nature that's given that to us. I acknowledge that for us to continue on this land, we need to listen and learn the lessons um, and the songlines and culture from our older ones, our elders. Um, and I'd also like to put in here a quote from Uncle Archie Roach. Um, if we don't start looking after Mother Nature, she's going to kick us in the mum. <laughs> I pay my respects to um, the connection between the people, the Wurundjeri people, um, and the Kulin Nation, and the land that we're gathered here today, because the connection um, to this place is unique. And I want to just take a moment to share, um, I think, that my sadness for this land um, and share my gratitude for um, the Barma Forest and Yorta Yorta land where I'm from. And, yeah, just take a moment to think about the fact that we're in a colonised place and that there's concrete everywhere. And, um, yeah, a moment of empathy towards the, the Wurundjeri and Kulin Nations. Um, this is going on for a little while, so I hope you're not bored. Um, but I also want to take a moment to remember my own ancestors, Yorta Yorta people, um, and give thanks to them for giving me the strength to get to this point in time where I am sitting at this table. There's other incredible people. Um, and lastly, pay my respects to my mother, Sue Briggs, um, and to all First Nations women um, in the room to acknowledge the integral role uh, that you play to keep our people strong. Um, that if it wasn't for the unconditional love, sisterhood and care that our women give to each other, um, then I also wouldn't be here today. Um, I want to acknowledge even though um, the statistics of domestic violence, rape and murder that um, are put on our women, that we still transcend them. Um, my name's Alara Briggs-Patterson. I was born on Jajaran country, I live on Wurundjeri country, and my body and soul descend from Yorta Yorta country. My grandfather is Don Briggs, my mother is Sue Briggs. Um, being brought up by mostly my mum, I was taught early in life that being Aboriginal is about taking care of this land and it will take care of us, so that's why I'm here. So my name is Jacinta Formatul. I am, I identify as a Samoan woman as well as an Australian woman, born and raised in Sydney, and then I migrated myself down here to Melbourne just following my parents. But um, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for, I uh, thank um, Catherine and the team for having me here. Um, it's such an honour to share this space with you all, and I'm looking forward to learn and, and listen to uh, what these ladies have gone through on their climate uh, journey. My climate journey pretty much started back in 2014, so not that long ago, but I believe I've had like the VIP experience in learning 
um, and meeting a lot of people in, in this movement. I uh, grew up in Sydney and I didn't realise I had a very privileged life until I met the Pacific Climate Warriors who are these young islanders that live in the islands, travel here to um, Australia just to share and raise awareness on what's been happening over there and that was an eye-opener for me. Um, so this movement pretty much brought me back to my roots and helped me embrace where my family and my ancestors come from. Um, I said I'm Samoan, uh, I also identify as a Pacific Islander, but I'm so grateful to be here in this country and I fully understand why my grandparents made that decision to move to this country because they were kind of aware of what was going to happen in the future. They saw the world was moving fast and so my grandparents moved to New Zealand and then my parents moved here from NZ to Sydney and I've been given the opportunity to go to school and go to university and try and get as many knowledge and tools that I can so I can protect what my parents sacrificed and my grandparents sacrificed. Um, I hope to, I guess, I, I, I'm a fence sitter in a lot of ways. I didn't realise, oh, I was kind of ashamed of being an islander for, for a long time and it was just easier to kind of blend in with the rest of my peers in school and my communities to be an Australian. Um, but now that I'm growing up, um, there's a lot of questions that I have unanswered in terms of what my identity is. Like, past 10 years, my hair was dead straight because I didn't even like curly hair. But um, that's a part of my identity, a part of where my family comes from. So I haven't touched an Australian in a long time now. Um, but yeah, baby steps. But um, yeah, I don't know what was, what was the last question. To my purpose in this movement is to not only find where I fit in this world, but I was so lucky to to be a part of this group back a couple of years ago where I learnt about climate change and why my islands were sinking. And I wish that my own cousins, my family and all my friends were there at that time because maybe they would be just as passionate as I am now if they heard the stories that I heard back then. And so I pretty much am in this journey to try and ch share those stories that are happening in the Pacific. <laughs> storytelling is such a powerful tool where I come from and I'm trying to improve on my skills in storytelling as well. That was Jacinta Fumatu, a Samoan Pacific Islander Australian woman from 350 Pacific, sharing her own personal story from the Pacific. And you're listening to Earth Matters, broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Kerry Lee Harding. Earth Matters, we bring you environment and social justice stories. Coming up next, you'll hear from Jen Ray, a Métay Canadian Aboriginal woman and artist talking of her own personal cultural experiences from back home. Oftentimes when I talk about home, I, I show two images. I show um, a picture of the mountains, the postcard image of Canada, which is um, Banff, where the mountains are, and then I also show a picture of the Alberta tar sands, which looks like a cancerous mole on the earth. Um, and, and there's a lot of shame associated with that um, when you talk about Alberta. Um, I, I had a conversation actually um, down at Laughing Waters with um, an Indigenous elder when I first came here. And we talked about how our culture is like a, a gigantic jigsaw puzzle. That somebody has taken the box and, give, and shaken it, thrown it up in the air and the lid has come off. And we've tried to collect all the pieces but there are pieces that are missing. Um, that's very much 
um, my background is missing a lot of those pieces. And so I think the way in which I deal with that, um, I think is now more informed than ever by being a mother myself. And I'm a futures thinker. Um, I think about the future, I think about her future. And I think about what are the skills and the tools and the knowledge that I need to pass on to her. Um, as a Métis, um, we were translators. We were translators between the colonizers and the First Nations people of Canada. Um, I see myself as a translator as a Métis, but I see myself as a translator as well between the older generations and the younger generations because there's um, a lot of knowledge um, that doesn't transfer down. And so a lot of my practice, a lot of the thinking that I do at home um, is about learning these skills, learning these tools, trying to understand languages that um, I didn't listen to when I was a kid. I didn't listen to my grandparents enough on and trying to instill the, um, the love of that um, within my own child. So, you know, I'm working on a project right now that is about um, we're going we're gonna to recreate a dish for a feast with Emily Johnson, who's here. Um, it's called Pemmican, and it's um, nature's first energy bar. And, you know, I have my little one. I'm slicing venison, and we're drying venison, and I'm telling her about this. And, you know, we don't have the meats that we would have in Canada to make this, but we're, we're using figs, and we're talking about macadamia nuts, and, and so forth. And I'm, she's only 13 months old, but I, I figure we've got to start talking early about these things. Yeah. That's how I work. That sounds incredible. I love food, so glad that you're sharing that love with uh, the young ones. <laughs> um, so I'm a volunteer for SEED Indigenous Youth Climate Network, um, and one of our, our big things that we talk about is climate justice and the way that uh, First Nations people, in our case Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, are being affected disproportionately to non-Indigenous people. Um, and I didn't realise how strongly this affected me as I'm incredibly privileged with my pale skin and with my Western, well, I guess, depends on what we're calling privilege here, but um, I had the skills to thrive in a Western um, education system um, as well as enjoying the complete opposite side of that as well. But um, the biggest thing with climate justice that I realised is that um, I didn't realise the intergenerational trauma that had been put on me as, as I was born. Um, the fact that I was born and I can't speak my language. Um, only a few elders and some young people can speak Yorta Yorta. Um, the fact that I didn't get to spend any time on my country um, until only like a few years ago, the fact that I know barely any of my own family who live um, on Yorta Yorta land around Shepherd and Marukna, um, the fact that I only like a year ago, a couple of years ago, was able to start taking that cultural journey of finding out um, what culture that I want to learn and that I need to learn um, and making really genuine relationships with some of my elders. Um, and that it was at the point I was in, a, in an activity um, called step, step Forward and Step Back and um, 
I don't know if any of you, you probably some of you know um, Arnie Karina Nolan, ran an activity, um, we were in a circle and we all had to step forward or back depending on what um, it was that she said, so some of it she was saying if you're white or if you have been told you're, you don't exist as a people um, and it was really, I don't even know the word to describe it but I ended up in the middle of the circle and everyone was around me um, and I just sort of burst into tears and was like, oh shit, <laughs> like I, I feel this more than I ever felt it before and I feel it more every single day um, and the justice part of it is taking back what's ours as a people um, and sharing it and being able to um, unite and hopefully, I guess, um, not, not be forced to assimilate. It's kind of similar with with Islanders that I work with. Uh, so I work with 350 Pacific, which is a branch from 350.org, which is a global team out in the States. And um, we have our own challenges in working alongside the Australia team who have all these structures and the way things should be done in terms of um, planning and action. And it's always been difficult for the, the team in the islands because, one, they don't have all those resources. Um, two, there are a lot of formalities involved in, in terms of uh, we can't just go knocking to a company's door and demand justice. For the islanders, there's a lot of... Um, and explain it, things that are done to also respect the space and respect the people that work there. We would get permission. I mean, it's not that we're doing it the way, I guess, in most um, corporate societies would do it, but I guess in island cultures, it, there's a lot of formalities done into when you're dealing with the elders. And um, for an example, uh, when it came to planning our climb, our what's the called? Um, blocking the coal ships with canoes. There was like a three-year plan towards that. And on the day, we still had so many challenges and issues just in terms of uh, the different cultures that were involved in setting this action up. Um, it was very uncomfortable for a lot of our members in our Pacific team who were all young um, to uh, travel to, to Newcastle in the first place because if they put themselves at risk, then they're putting their passports and, then, and their visas at risk. Something that wasn't, I guess, in discussing a lot of the planning when we worked with the Australia team. And um, when we did the, the training in terms of how to deal with uh, the legalities on the day, we had guest speakers would come in and they wouldn't consider the language barrier as well. So on, in most of the sessions that I stepped in, the, the, the trainer uh, would be shouting and try, speaking to them as if they were deaf and they were dumb and it was so disrespectful. But it was with good intentions. You know, she just obviously didn't think about it. But on the Pacific side, it was so rude and disrespectful and it almost broke bridges um, in terms of planning the, ne the next actions to come in the future. Um, in our Pacific movement, I think we, looked, we look up to SeedMob because they pretty much paved the way in terms of how to work in this movement when you're working with the Australian government. And our Pacific teams are still very young in this movement, so we do um, reach out to Seed for a lot of support. But um, 
it's, it's still young days for us in the Pacific. Uh, we're still at the level where we're still trying to raise awareness of what's happening there, which is why we look to storytelling as a main tool. Um, and for us who are Pacific Islanders born and raised in Australia, our challenge is to extend those voices to um, all the islanders that are here in this country and still have no idea what's happening back home. I was a perfect example of that a couple of years ago. I have challenges with my, within my own families. My parents think that I'm going to a library to study today. They have no idea what I'm doing. Um, my cousins, they see a few posts on my Facebook page and they're like, oh, look, Jay, she's doing something about climate change. But they have no idea that I'm speaking on their behalf as well. I'm representing them. And it's such a... Sometimes I go home and I have a little have a little cry moment because I'm like, oh, my family have no idea what I'm doing. Like, they have no idea what's going, back, what's going on back home. And our team in the Pacific, they are so young. They are students. They, they're still in high school. And they can go out and preach. And they tell um, their devastation in, with such passion. And they, they stand in their truth so strongly. And I look at that as inspiration. I, want, I, I see them as my teachers. I'm so lucky to, to be in this kind of movement with the few tools that I have but I'm yet to find what my purpose is and that's you know I'm an islander still rep- representing their work but from an Australian perspective. That was Jacinta Fumatu, a Samoan Australian woman from 350 Pacific. You've been listening to Earth Matters and broadcast on the community radio network with me Kerry Lee Harding. Today on the program, we took you inside the decolonising climate change panel discussion, featuring a panel discussion and held in Melbourne at the Black Dot Gallery in April 2017. Also in this program, you heard from Jen Ray, a Métay Canadian Aboriginal woman and artist, Alara Briggs, Yorta Yorta woman from the Seed Mob, and you also heard a poetry reading by Kate West. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri and is broadcast nationally across the country on community radio stations thanks to the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Mob, you can email us at earthmatters3crgmail.com or visit our Facebook page, Earth Matters 3CR Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Earth M Radio. If you'd like to listen or share this or all previous editions of the show, you can find all our podcasts at the website 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for your company this week and the Earth Matters team will be back again next week with more deadly green social justice news from all over this awesome planet. I'm Kerry Lee Harding and I'll see you next time.